Hello and welcome to Thank You Come Again. This is an e-commerce podcast sponsored by Wonderment, where we dive into the actual strategies that leading D2C brands are using to not only make their customers come back and buy again, but have the best possible customer experiences. I'm Blake and Burl. I started my career as a retention marketer, and now I'm focused on being a shepherd of knowledge for you and others on all things retention marketing. You won't find any top 10 guru guides here. Instead, I want you to walk away from each episode with battle-tested and actionable insights that's going to help you to move a needle forward and driving repeat business. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. All right. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Thank You, Come Again. This is a special episode for me, and it's a topic I have devoted years of my life to, first as a marketer and then going into software with Tone and Attentive, and that is conversational commerce. There's been a lot of buzz in this community around what it is, why it works, and how it helps us to build meaningful relationships with customers. And quite frankly, there's a lot of compelling data and stats around it. But is it all hype or is there something more to engaging in conversation that actually drives conversion? I've seen it firsthand that uh, the impact that conversations can have on driving retention and repeat business. And so I wanted to bring on someone who's also been putting out a lot of great content and really is an SME on this topic. So I am thrilled to be joined by Stephanie Griffith. Stephanie is an expert on all things email, SMS, and retention for e-commerce brands. And she's also the host of a seriously great podcast called Conversational Commerce, which if you haven't checked it out, highly recommend it to you. I'll put it in the show notes. But with all that long-windedness aside, Stephanie, welcome to the show. How are you? Blake, thank you so much for having me. I am so pumped to be here. I can't think of a better counterpart to have this conversation with, truly. Um, and for folks listening, this is the first time Blake and I have finally met, even though we have been on like <laughs> parallel tracks talking about this for the last couple of years. So this is really just like the best kind of uh, merging of worlds, if you will. Well, the privilege is all mine. Uh, and likewise, I feel like this is great that uh, this is Stephanie's destiny to be doing this episode here today. Um, but to kind of start the conversation, Stephanie, could you just share a little bit about what's your background? What are you up to? Who is Stephanie Griffith? Uh, what a big question. Um, I will synthesize it as best as I can. But yeah, I do have about or over uh, 10 years now at this point experience kind of in deep uh, email and SMS marketing, largely for retail and e-commerce brands. Um, so way back in the day, I got my start at a small company called Abercrombie & Fitch. Uh, that was my first uh, first corporate job out of college. So I learned a lot there, um, but then quickly jumped over to Bath & Body Works, which is where I actually got my start on the email side of things. Um, I was pretty spoiled. We had a list of about 26 million subscribers when I was there. So just so much data and really kind of... Um, it introduced me to a lot of the best practices that we don't even see certain brands kind of employ today, segmentation, rich analytics, things like that, really personalizing that experience. So I kind of got to see that at the beginning of my career and it's what got me kind of hyped and pretty addicted to email and e-commerce as a channel. Um, since then, I've kind of taken a different path. I went from big corporate retail down to uh, working for agencies where I was an email strategist uh, in the Clavio and Shopify ecosystem uh, for high growth DTC brands. I went off on my own for a little while and did the freelance thing uh, and consulted for both brands and uh, tech platforms in the space. And then most recently, I actually took a career sabbatical. And I tossed that in there because it's something I think everyone should do at some point because I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to answer questions uh, five months ago about who I was. I was a little bit lost. I really needed a break. So I'm super glad that I took that. Um, I needed that time to just be me. I, I spent time hiking. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado. I love the outdoors. I love to travel. I love to read. I love to be with friends. Um, and I kind of just needed that, that pause, if you will. But I'm also excited to share that I am back in the e-commerce space. Um, I am now the, thank you, thank you very much. I am now the senior product marketing manager for a company called Bloomreach. Um, and for folks not familiar, it is kind of like a Clavio on steroids. So marketing automation platform, also focused on largely on e-commerce brands, but bigger as well. So retail, offline, cross-channel, CDP powered. Um, so I'm really, really excited because it's kind of this incredible culmination of my enterprise retail experience, my e-commerce experience, my marketer experience, but now I get to take that and then influence the product uh, and how we actually bring that product to marketers 
just something I know uh, you are also deeply passionate about. So yeah, that's what I'm up to uh, right now. That is a new role for me. So, you know, more to come, but really excited to take all of my experience and bring that uh, to this part of my career journey. I love it. I'm so, so happy for you in this new role and also, you know, taking the sabbatical. I think that there is so much burnout that happens in this space and, you know, all these things can really compound. I felt really similarly as I was leaving Tone and coming to Attentive too. And I can definitely relate to, you know, all those feelings, but also Abercrombie, your first job. Wow. That is uh, that is quite the uh, task to take on. So major props to you for that. Thank you. Yeah. As a brief aside, I think folks, especially for folks that might know me from Twitter, obviously a lot of us kind of hang out there. I mean, barring, barring uh, the current landscape, but that is where a lot of the e-commerce crew kind of gets to know one another. I don't think we know enough about each other's backgrounds. And I, I know for sure people don't realize the depth of experience that I have. Um, I've been around for a while, uh, folks. Surprise. Uh, this, this, young, this young face is actually <laughs> probably older than you realize. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful for, for all of those experiences in, in my career that have ultimately kind of led to where I'm at now. Amazing. And I think, you know, all that experience definitely speaks for itself. And I know on this topic we're talking about today, we're really going to dive deep into some of that experience that you have as well. Um, so let's just get into it. You know, I, I think conversational commerce is probably one of the biggest buzzwords right now, 2022, I think heading into 2023. Yet I don't think there's really a maybe linear definition of what it means. And so rather than tell us what it is, can you tell me maybe like what what isn't conversational commerce? Yes. What a great question to start with. Um, I love this because I've, I've been on other podcasts before and I think I was asked to give like, give me best practices for SMS. And I'm like, I'm going to start with like the anti best practices of like, don't <laughs> do this. Um, so I will take the same approach here. Conversational commerce is not checking a bunch of boxes. And I think unfortunately for so many marketers and operators and founders, like that's what you think you have to do. You have to send the email, check the box. You have to send the text message, check the box. Um, you have to put live chat on your website. Oh, you checked the box on that. That is not conversational commerce. Um, just saying you have those things or just doing those things does not necessarily make something conversational. Uh, it doesn't make it personal. And personalization is, I think, everyone's favorite buzzword. I mean, that has been around since the, almost the dawn of email time, uh, which is pushing uh, quite a few decades at this point. And we love to talk about personalization and just, you know, oh, another box to have checked. So I really like that conversational commerce has replaced that um, and has become the new buzzword because there's so much more nuance to it. There's so many more components there. Um, yes, personalization is part of that, but it is it goes a lot deeper than just some of those surface level tactics, if you will. 100%. I know that we're going to dive into all those nuanced things and talk more about it. And I think at the end, maybe we can give a better informed definition of what we think the conversational commerce definition should be. Um, but you say that we've lost sight of what makes commerce inherently human. Why is that? Yeah, man, um, that was such a hard statement for me to to give. And for folks, again, listening, um, I gave a, a, an opening keynote talk on this on this very topic. Uh, for a conference earlier in the year called Unspam. Um, and I'm also pulling from incredible conversations that I had throughout uh, recording for my podcast, Conversational Commerce. And it became so clear that like the one element that we are not really doing is talking to people like people. Uh, we throw so many of these, these fancy words around, speaking of buzzwords. So subscribers, audiences, leads, customers, like we reduce people down to something other than exactly what they are, which is humans like you and me. Yeah. Are we, you know, are we customers? Are we the people that uh, these brands want to reach for sure? But as soon as you lose sight of that and you just start talking about them as something else that is totally alienating to who they actually are, it's going to be reflected in all of your, your marketing, all of your, uh, you know, your online experience, that customer's experience is going to be dramatically impacted in a negative way because you're no longer viewing them as a person. Um, and I think that is really kind of the, the underlying issue that we're seeing that is preventing people from kind of unlocking some of the deeper elements of conversational commerce. If you don't start by like saying, hey, we're actually trying to talk to people. We're trying to reach people. We're not trying to just grow a list of subscribers. Uh, we're not just trying to like send out the text, you know, whatever. Then I think things automatically take on a more human element. Um, and yeah, I stand by the fact that up until up until right, like up until this point, I still think we've, we've lost sight of that. 
I fully you know resonate with that. I think too, one thing that we kind of saw with like the rise of SMS in the late 2010s and into the 2020s now is it's just been a, a check the box sort of like a, you're not really seeing the other person on the other end of that. Batch and blast has been a big thing. I know we're kind of moving away from that. Maybe I hope, um, but you know, in a, in a lot of ways, I think like talking about this human component and how we lost sight of that. If connecting with people on a human level is like a key lever to selling. You know, why do you think maybe then we haven't approached selling in this way before? That's, I could give a dissertation on that. So that is, <laughs> that is such a big question. And it's because we're, we're operating in this ecosystem that we've, that we've just come to know. Um, but I want to bring it back a little bit further. So again, kind of hearkening back to my, my Abercrombie days, think of brands like Abercrombie, think of the Nikes of the world, think of the Bath and Body Works, um, you know, mall brands, remember malls <laughs> before e-commerce there was malls, there was retailers, there was big brand names and identities. It's not that we don't have that anymore, but it's not the same as it used to be. So let's go back to like, we'll say the 90s and the 2000s when people were literally writing songs. So think of the, you know, I want girl, I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Like it ruled our world. So the way that brands used to interact with people was one directional. It was brand, brand as a hierarchy up here, people down below, the brands were communicating to and at kind of their the people they wanted to connect with, but they weren't inviting people back into that conversation. Abercrombie was not going out and saying, what do you think you know, we, sh we should provide? What type of experience do you want to have as a customer? They were saying, these are the hot trends. This is, this is how we want you to dress. This is the cool kids club. Do you want to be a part of it? And so people kind of just adopted and bought into that brand identity. And again, it was very one directional. We didn't have the mechanisms that we have now to even really open up the dialogue between brands and people. So one fortunate thing I'll say is now it looks so much different, especially with the advent of e-commerce and direct to consumer. That was the that was the initial start of saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna skip this, you know, these kind of middleman elements. You don't necessarily have to go to a department store, you don't have to go, you know, to retail. Things can come directly to you. But it wasn't until more recently that we actually saw that kind of open up as becoming a bi-directional conversation between brands and people. So now people have a say in their experience with brands, um, which is great. Brands are starting to ask the right questions. They're starting to invite customers into the conversation and say, you know, what type of shopper are you? Uh, you know, what what are you searching for? Like, what, what products are you looking for, et cetera? All of that was kind of a little bit lost, I think, in that translation of old school retail to high growth online direct to consumer um, and even, you know, retail today. So I think that's a little bit of where those things were kind of lost and also just kind of the acceleration that we've seen over the last handful of years. We would be remiss not to talk about the pandemic right. and what that did for how we kind of interact, not just interpersonally, but also with brands. So we were already seeing a lot of things kind of shift online, um, but even more so we saw our interpersonal communication also shift. So everything was accelerated by that event and I think, unfortunately, what was a little bit lost in that acceleration was some of the best parts of like interpersonal interactions in a retail setting that we failed to emulate online. So, for example, if you were to walk into the mall, especially around holiday time when everyone is, you know, at their at their best because they're trying to make the most sales, you're going to walk into a store. Typically, they're all decked out for the holidays. You're going to start perusing. Maybe you're shopping for yourself. Maybe you're shopping for someone else. But the first thing that happens is typically a store associate will come up to you and have a conversation. I used to work retail. Before I did the corporate side, I worked in stores as a, as a retail associate. And it was the best part of the job was getting to be like, hey, welcome in. What are you shopping for today? How can I help you? What are you looking for? And it was so natural. Um, you know, you'd try not to bombard them. Typically, you'd, you'd give them some uh, a chance to kind of start looking around. You'd, you'd zero in on who was clearly going to be in the store for a little while. And then you'd go talk to those people to say, can I help you find the thing you're looking for and make this a positive experience? We don't see that happen on online. Um, it's interesting, like we, especially now, I think this is an element that has actually gotten worse. And it's, that concerns me a little bit. I can't go to a damn website right now without immediately seeing at least three pop-ups in my face. So you get the cookies, of course. It's like, hey, you have to accept this. Um, you know, we, we use cookies to track you, whatever. 
legal jargon, it has, it has to be shown. So that pops up. Within another nanosecond, I'm getting the, hey, we want your email, we want your phone number to get a measly 10 or 15% off of your purchase. And then the awful statement of, no, I'd rather pay full price if you want to close it out. And then even after that, we're getting like live chat bubbles or other kind of like flyouts and things that are just such a distraction that you quite literally don't even get to walk into the virtual door, if you will, and start to have that conversation. They're just saying, give us your information. It's so backwards. That's just right. not how it works in real life. And so I think that's ultimately the breakdown of we didn't pause and think about the best elements of real life interactions between people when it comes to retail and commerce. And now we're scratching our heads as to why some folks aren't buying from us or they're not sticking around. They're not opening our emails. They're not clicking our text messages. And it's like, well, shit, did you try? <laughs> did you try to have a conversation? And I would say my answer to that still is a resounding no. We're getting better at it for sure. Um, we're definitely getting better. But yeah, ultimately, people just aren't, they're not having that conversation. They're not treating people like people. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I feel like speaking to my ethos of who I am, what I've been trying to, to say as well. And I feel like the I want to zero in on a few things there. I think you mentioned this sort of like uh, the in-store experience that we're used to having with you you walk into Abercrombie, someone's there to help you. You know, maybe you need you have sizing questions. Maybe you want to say, hey, do you have this in this color? Whatever the question case use case is. That experience right there is so critical to building that trust and relationship with Abercrombie, the brand, just as if you were in a D2C store, if you had that same level of conversation and quality of experience, like you would feel much more confident, I think, in your purchase too, or being able to even make that conversion happen. Yep. I think that's such a, such a key element that I think we lose sight of. And then also like on the uh, bombardment of things and the, the misalignment of priorities too, it's like, you come in the store and, and the first thing you're seeing is all these things rather than being helpful. It's like they just want things from you. And I think that's such a when we were so when I was at Tone, we built a whole business around, you know, just having human interaction with customers. And like one of the things that we focused on was like be there to be helpful, but don't bombard and don't overwhelm people. And when you're there to be helpful, it's like you open up the door to conversation, to relationship building, all these different things. So it's like I think you're really right in saying it's priorities. Um, but also thinking about how you can naturally just invite that conversation into. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we really we could talk forever about this. And I want to <laughs> um, in this presentation that I gave, I do I, the way I actually opened it. And I want to go back to this. This um, the definition of commerce, essentially, is something that we've, we don't have to we don't think about it. We right. We don't we don't go back. We don't define commerce. We don't define e-commerce. But we we often forget that this is rooted in like hundreds of years prior to us. Um, and so just for the listeners out here, I do want to recap just like the actual definition of commerce, just so we're all kind of clear. Number one, the most common accepted definition of commerce is the activity of buying and selling on a large scale. But second, and arguably the most important element of commerce is social dealings between people. It's in the definition. And yet, we forget it all the time because we're not we're not looking at the definition. We're just thinking of sell more stuff. Um, I think I think Postscript actually even has that on their on their website. And like, no shame against Postscript. What a, it's a fun, smart pun for SMS. But it's like we really have lost sight of the human element of that. It's like it's not just selling more stuff. It's yes, of course that's what we're going into business to do as marketers. We're trying to get people to come to our websites. We're trying to build those relationships ultimately to get them to buy something and hopefully hopefully to get them to buy again, yeah. uh, right? But you can't do that if you don't treat it like a conversation and if you don't treat it like building that relationship. So yeah, I just want to remind everyone here, commerce is ultimately the social dealings between people. So really let that, let that be the guiding light. <laughs> I 100%. That's a, such a critical definition to have. And uh, I think one of the things that, one of the answers that people run to then in that case of like, how can we make things more interactive is, personalization. And I know you have some some feelings around personalization. I think you wrote in a tweet, um, just because it's personalized doesn't mean it's personal. We're giving ourselves way too much credit on this front. Uh, I love that. And could you just unpack like what you mean when you say that just because it's personalized doesn't mean it's personal? Yeah, thanks. I'm really glad that you zeroed in on that because that is one of my favorite things that came out of some of my podcast interviews because we kept hearing this like, oh, you know, we're, we're checking the personalization box. So again, it's not that it's not the check the box that matters. 
So sure, could you pull someone's first name into an email or you know, pull, pull their first name into a text message and say, you did personalization? Yeah, does that make it actually feel like a personal interaction to folks? No, um, I don't know about you. My inbox these days is just, it's a shit show. I'll say it. I'm, I'm, I will go on record. I've already, I've already gone on record as being a bad email marketer because I am just mass unsubscribing from things at this point because I've given so much of my time and so much of my money to a lot of brands and companies that they should, in theory, have enough information to give me truly personalized experiences that feel personal to me. Um, so for example, so there's, there'll be, I'll, I'll throw out a couple of brands and this is not to name and shame. It's just brands I've shopped with that I can confidently say are checking the personalization box, but they're not actually making it feel personal to me. Um, so Eddie Bauer is a good one. Again, I live in Colorado. I do a lot of outdoor activities. I've spent a lot of money with this brand. Uh, and so I was really surprised to still continue to get emails from them that would showcase categories that I have clearly expressed no interest in. Um, for anyone that knows me, I do not have children. I'm fairly outspoken on not planning on having them. And so you can bet that I am not shopping from the kids category. I'm not buying kids items. I don't think I've ever even bought men's items from, from this company. It's strictly women's, it's strictly outdoor gear. And yet I continue to get emails that are like, hey, here are t-shirts for men and kids on sale. <laughs> and I'm just like, you have my name in the email because I'm part of their loyalty uh, rewards program. So at the top of every email, they're like, hey, Stephanie, here's your $10 rewards coupon. But then the rest of the email that is supposed to be incentivizing me to you know, probably spend that $10 and come back and make another purchase is not at all actually relevant to me. And it's just like, as a marketer, of course, I want, I, you know, I just throw my fists up because I'm like, you have the data. It could be so easy to like, hook me almost every time. Um, even with simple things like, hey, Stephanie, because you bought this, you might like these other items or like, you know, thanks so much for this purchase. We know you, we know you purchased from these categories. Try these other ones. You, they don't even have to be so blatant. You can do it with segmentation if you have, if you have the purchase data. Um, so it's examples like that. Also, spam. Go to your spam inbox. It's so funny. You can go, they're, they're, they're personalized to high hell these days, especially if you're in like the, uh, like the B2B space. They can find so many pieces of information about you. That doesn't mean it's personal. Yeah, they pulled in your first name and your job title and they think that you want their cold sales pitch. Does that mean it's like personalized? I guess. Does that feel personal to me? I'm like, no, get the hell out of my inbox. It's spam. I didn't sign up for this. So right. it's, it's just funny when folks are like, oh, but you know, your first name is in it. It, it, it should feel personal to you. I'm like, no. Um, so yeah, just because we've, we're pulling in people's first names, just because you're using merge tags, just because you're kind of slapping a, you know, here's the last product you viewed into an email or into a text message, that's not enough to actually make it feel personal for folks. And I think that is that critical unlock. And the more we prioritize kind of that foundation of conversational commerce, treating people like people, remembering that commerce is supposed to be these dealings between people, then we can make things feel more personal. But until we get some of those other elements right, we're just going to be stuck at the personalization stage, I think. Yeah, I think that's such a great call out to it's It's like right now there's sort of this mentality of like personalization is everything. And, and, you know, we have to be so highly personalized. But I mean, really, what is the data points that go into that that make it personalized? I know but that's something that, you know, we could probably impact a little bit more here is if, you know, first name, you know, and some of these things aren't the solution to inviting more natural organic conversations. Um, what might be the answer then? Like, how do we actually think about getting um, into meaningful conversation with customers? Like what, what kind of data things should we be thinking about asking? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, um, that's another thing I talk about. And I, I didn't, I wish I, I'm glad I get to talk about it now because I haven't talked about this, this actually enough. I think there's a handful of, how do I, how, let me go back and, and rephrase this. We've been so addicted to so many different data points, long-term value, CAC, ROAS, ROI, open rates, click rates, all of these things. We toss all of these different data points around. Um, and then on the personalization front too, we say, oh, we've pulled in first name. We captured their email address. We know what they purchased. Like that must be enough. No. So especially in this era of kind of like privacy concerns where we're talking about moving even from, forget third-party data, stop, stop, stop trying to rely on third-party data. That is not going to give you the answers that you want. 
So now we move into more of the first party and the zero party data space. So first party data being the data that you're capturing on your owned properties. So customers are coming to your site, they're making purchases, they're giving you information that you own and you don't have to rent from somewhere else. So that's, that's an improvement, right? Then we go a step further and we say, okay, zero party data. That is zero. That is data that your customers are freely giving you, whether they're kind of filling something out on the site, maybe you're progressively profiling them in emails or text messages. I think that's, I mean, that is an incredible improvement even above first party data. But I want to repackage that and say what we actually need is conversational data. We have to ask the questions, like start asking the people coming to your site what they want. Um, there's you know, plenty of ways to do this. So surveys, of course, I think are mm -hmm. super powerful. Um, I will give a shout out, a shout out to Octane AI here because they are so, I think, integral in kind of that Shopify ecosystem. Absolutely. And they've really, they've really shown what the power of conversational data can look like just by asking. And you don't have to ask a ton of questions, but again, like let's think of that retail experience. Rather than immediately saying, hey, can I have your email and, and your phone number and I'll send you 10% off before you even know what you want, why not start by asking, especially around the holiday times, you come to a site and you say, are you shopping for yourself or someone else? Say you hit, oh, I'm shopping for someone else. And then you're given a kind of a, a starting point of here are some of our top gift, like giftable items this season, you know, based on what you're looking for. That is like, that's having like a virtual assistant kind of hold your hand and say, let me take you over to, you know, the part of the store or the part of the website that's going to be most valuable for what you're looking for. And then also surprise for marketers, you get the data point. <laughs> you get to know that they're they're not actually purchasing for themselves. So then you can curate a better experience after the fact, because maybe you need to provide something for the gift, uh, the, the giftee, I guess the recipient of the gift, <laughs> instead of assuming that you just, you know, landed a brand new customer that you would onboard a little bit differently. So it's it seems so simple to me. It's just like all you have to do is like ask questions um, about how people are actually shopping for or how people are actually shopping um, and what they might be shopping for. And then take that information and actually use it to provide those better experiences, like really conversational commerce. I know I shouldn't maybe shouldn't be defining it like so, <laughs> so early on is truly just taking those asking the questions taking the conversational data that is actually given back to you and then using it to provide a truly customized experience for that individual person. Because if you have the data, you should be able to use it. And I think that's a lot of the problems um, as well. We, we think we're capturing so much data. And even if we are, oftentimes we're not using it. And that's such a shame. It's such a missed opportunity. Get the data and then like use the damn data. <laughs> Uh, such such a missed opportunity and i think a uh, very well deserved plug of octane ai and those quizzes that they build i think like when those came out i, I remember i was one of the early users of it with a, a company i was working with called autobrush and then we had built this whole quiz around just getting conversational data learning about what customers needs were segmenting them out and then like making a thoughtful recommendation but even like we knew that like a large percent wasn't going to convert that day but it's like we now have all this great puzzle pieces that we can go and build our automations around. We can go and build our campaigns around segmentation strategies, whatever it is. Um, but then also like speaking to our customers as if we know, okay, we have all this data. It's like an in-store consultation. And then we're going to have a great conversation around that data that we just learned. Um, right. It's such, such a better way. I think a lot of folks get caught up in this sort of like, I have to get them on the SMS list at all costs. I have to get them on the email list at all costs, but they know absolutely nothing about the customer. And it's such a missed opportunity. Um, you mentioned quizzes. Are there any other ways that we can get zero party data conversationally um, from, from a customer? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of ways. So email as well is another channel you can, you can use to progressively profile folks. Um, I know Clavio makes it possible to pull in, I think it's like, updating profile properties based on clicks for anyone that mm -hmm. needs the documentation. Um, that's such a fun one. It's a thing I loved using when I was an email strategist because it's great to incorporate it, especially say you're putting, you're, uh, you're putting it in a welcome flow. You don't have a ton of information yet. So maybe you, you have a standard kind of opt-in, you're getting their email, maybe you have some viewed product information, maybe they've abandoned products, et cetera, but you don't know enough about them yet, right? So like that, that is where I'll give marketers a little bit of a pass. You don't always have that in all of the data that you want upfront, but you especially don't have, a, have it if you don't ask for it. So start with like your welcome email, put some simple things at the bottom. Say you're, if you're a clothing retailer, 
you know, simplify some of your categories and get folks to click on some sections about, you know, what are you most interested in? What are you most likely to shop for? And then based on that click, that information that they're giving you, you can then progressively profile them, update an attribute on their profile property, and then use that for future segmentation, future workflows, et cetera. It really can be that simple. My favorite is definitely on the SMS side of things um, with keyword replies. I'm sure you, I'm sure you are well-versed in that. And I think that is one of the best examples we have of conversational commerce is leveraging channels like SMS to, again, open up that conversation with customers and then invite them into the conversation by asking them to respond. So going out and saying, Hey, you know, respond with keyword X, Y, Z, you know, if you want to hear more about this or, Hey, here, here's our, our top three bestsellers reply with whatever the product name is, if you want to hear more about that product. Again, guess what that gives you? That gives you that zero party data point because someone is telling you directly what they're most interested in. And then you get to take that information, hopefully, and use it to create smart experiences after that, uh, after that interaction. So I think that's a great one. And I think SMS just feels to me so much more conversational than channels like email. Um, so email is one of those ones where Again, my, my background is an email. We like to pat ourselves on the back and say, we've personalized, we've personalized emails. We've made them conversational. We've, we've put in dynamic product recommendations. Um, you know, we've put the person's uh, first name in there. We're pulling in the photo of the product they last viewed or what they abandoned in their cart. Certainly that's conversational. I'll ask you and for anyone listening, how many emails from brands are you sitting and responding to from your inbox? Oh, it's very little, if any, to be honest. And if I am, I'm usually upset about something. So it's not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not having a conversation over email for sure. Exactly. And it's like, imagine if we could get ahead of that and perhaps you'd be less upset and less likely to respond to emails only in a negative way if it felt more engaging and conversational. So mm-hmm. channels like email, I think have, they've done a good job with, again, we've, we've, we've done what we could, I think in that, in that channel with the limitations of the technology, it's just not as conversational as channels like SMS. And so that is why I am such a huge fan of SMS, especially for conversational commerce, because it is quick. It very quickly and easily replicates the medium that we're most used to using to have conversations with our friends and our families. Like brands should want to have that positive positive sentiment um, with the people that they're trying to reach. Like, you know, don't be careful with how you do it, but there's really fun ways to kind of open up that dialogue and then solicit for that zero party data that you're looking to get and make it clear. Like you can be cutesy about it and also let folks know you're asking because you actually want to be able to provide them a better experience. Um, I think, I think users, users expect that, but it's also helpful if you remind them that like, Hey, we, we want to provide a better experience for you. And so in exchange for you giving us, um, you know, additional pieces of information about yourself, we're actually going to use that. And then the brand's responsibility is to, to actually use that, of course, uh, to provide a better experience. hundred percent. I think that, you know, the conversational SMS to me is like the biggest opportunity right now. I think in, in retention marketing, I think it just to build relationships. I know there's a lot of opportunities out on the table, but it's like, Conversational SMS is such a valuable tool. If you know how to use it, you put in the setup work. If it's your keyword automations, uh, we're, we're platform agnostics. So whether you're using PostScript or Attentive or whatever you're using, like there's a lot of cool things yeah. you can do to be able to build those automations out. And then even something I, I've talked about for forever is like if you offer customer service over SMS yeah. and call it out like on your on your welcome message. Hey, this is a two way channel. Text if you have any questions. Like mm-hmm. literally just invite the conversation, make it useful. Um, the keyword one is super, super interesting because it also can span the entire journey. If it's pre-purchase with that welcome series, abandoned cart, uh, or even like post-purchase, like something we're doing at Wonderment, like specific to shipping is like um, to be able to even say like, hey, you just got your package. Text one if it's damaged. Text two if you uh, got it, everything's okay. Text three if you need to get a hold of us. Like literally just inviting conversation too. It can be about data, but it can also about just being helpful too. Like there's so many facets and caveats, I think, to it. Um, but as we think about that too, I mean, one of the things that I think can come up as we're capturing this zero party data is the data can become stale or maybe you need to refresh that data, you know, just because, um, you know, I told you my preferences six months ago, it doesn't mean that six months later, I still have those same preferences. 
Um, how would you recommend maybe keeping that data fresh, making sure that we're getting the highest quality data that's accurate of, of a customer over their entire journey? Yeah, great question. It's definitely, I think that's another um, kind of fallacy, right? It's even if you set up automations, they shouldn't be set it and forget it, and neither should your data capture. Um, so on the email and SMS side, something that can always kind of supersede uh, some of those preferences that you might have collected a long time ago is purchase behavior or on-site behavior. So even if it's not that zero party level, you can still look at the behavioral signals that your users are sending to you based on what they're coming back to your website and doing. Um, and also certain signals are the lack of signals, right? So if they're not engaging with email for some reason, try SMS, text them again and say, hey, you know, it's been a little while. Um, you know, can you let us know if you're still interested? Can you, you know, respond with this keyword if you need help or if you want to see our newest products? Like maybe they need a reintroduction. Sometimes you really have to kind of bring it back to the foundational level of that relationship and just say, hey, what's what's been up? How can, you know, how can we kind of like bring this back, if you will? So I think some of it can be that easy. Um, also, you can look at sending out emails that are, I don't want to call them surveys, but encouraging people to go back and take a look at their preferences. A lot of the time we forget that people don't inherently think to go and update those things. Maybe you have a preference center, maybe you actually use it because a lot of brands unfortunately don't. <laughs> um, but if you do and you are using that and you are using that to collect um, you know, information that can help you personalize that experience, remind folks, send it out every six months. People are not gonna see every email. So you're, God forbid you said the same, you sent the same email twice in a year or a couple times a year to make sure you're still getting that information. I think more often than not, people will be grateful for the reminder if it is if they are interested in kind of personalizing their experience. Um, because remember, people don't see every email. They're far more likely to see our text messages. But we we often think every email we send gets opened and clicked or every text message we send, it gets uh, seen and clicked. And that's just not how it is. So keep that conversation going is what I would say. Um, and then, yeah, also take a look at kind of response rates for things too. Are, have you had the same uh, capture, like sign up, sign up form on your website and are results dwindling? Look at ways to switch it up. Try conversational pop-ups. That's again, something that Octane AI, I think that's exactly what they call them, conversational pop-ups. Because mm -hmm. um, they're meant to kind of capture additional data points and make that an ongoing experience. And I believe their data supports that that is, they perform far and above kind of those standard elements. And they allow you to keep that conversation going, re-ask questions, ask updated questions, and kind of get that, that new information as you need it. Yeah, conversations, relationships, they're fluid, they move, they change over time. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's natural to think that, you know, like, you got to keep you got to keep that kind of momentum moving. And also, um, you know, like, it's not that you're going to be texting your customers every day asking how they're doing, like what's going on in their lives. But um, it just it creates a lot more value, I think, to to like a channel like SMS, when you can have a conversation with a brand and you feel heard based upon what you're telling them. And then what you're seeing, uh, you know, as a result of that on the channel is personalized yeah. to that. Um, I think that that's a key to actually making more effective personalization is, is kind of like it goes back to what we were just saying. You know, it's not just the first name. It's not just um, some of those kind of surface level things, but conversational data and what you're saying, like that makes you feel heard. I feel like as a customer at the end of the day, people want to feel seen and heard. That is that is definitely that's something like we like we as people interpersonally want. We want our partners to see us and hear us. We want our employers to see us and hear us. Why would brands think it's necessarily any different? Um, it's like I'm kind of a common sense marketer. Like I try to sit, like synthesize things down to the simplest common denominator. And I think when we you remember that we're all just people and we have these these specific needs and wants. If you operate with that mindset, you can provide such better experiences. And sometimes it really is that simple. But yeah, people want to see people want to feel seen and heard. I love it. Yeah, I think that that's a great theme to think about with conversational commerce in general. And I think that that's the that's the superpower. I feel like is it it gives you an ability to connect with your customers on a deeper level. That's what creates the trust with the brand. That what that's what creates, I think, the loyalty and repeat buying behaviors is when you're able to feel heard and seen. Like there, there are occasions, you know, where like I, I reach out to a brand, you know, I'm upset or something, or but then we have a conversation and it, and they resolve a situation, or um, you know, even if it's just giving them data and then I'm getting really personalized stuff as a result of that. Like there's so much that can happen um, mm -hmm. if you just start the conversation. I feel like that's such a such a great way to think about it, but to give some tactical know-how. Now we've talked a lot about kind of the why, the ethos, all these things. 
are there any like I, I guess like maybe best places to think about using conversation like let's let's zero in on sms i feel like that's probably what we're talking about the most here but like where would you think about really emphasizing like this should be conversational like and, and that journey i mean i truly think that all of it can be conversational it's just a matter of the level i, I think of conversation but i think brands really need to think about this as like a cornerstone and a foundational element and not pick and choose so much that can sound daunting, but I, I really think it's actually, it can actually be that simple. So like you mentioned, say someone signs up for SMS, they're getting the welcome message. I love brands that lead with kind of introductions from their CEO or maybe a team member. And then they, they finish by saying, hey, like if you need help with something or if you just have questions, reply to us. I think it starts there from the very first interaction by making it known that they have, it's an open door. Like, hey, if you have a question, uh, reply to this. Like, we're here to answer those things. But the key piece of that is you have to be set up to actually respond. There's right. nothing worse than having a brand be like, oh yeah, text us. And you text and you're like so stoked about it. And then you get nothing back, right? Because then that feels like you got ghosted. No one wants to get ghosted. Don't ghost your subscribers. Don't ghost people. <laughs> There's another one. Um, but then yeah, for SMS2, I think additional automations, that is where I, I would say it probably works the best. Um, so as you're onboarding folks, or maybe you're trying to give, so instead of like, I'm kind of spitballing here on the fly. So instead of like a typical browse abandon campaign, say someone views a product and you just say, Hey, here's that product that you viewed. Why don't you reach out to them and say, you know, reply info. If you want more information about this product or reply help, if you need to be connected to a customer service person or provide or reply style, if you want to see how we'd style this product, like there's so many use cases for it. And I think folks just need to get a little bit creative. Um, and also this sounds a little world PC, but like sit down and like, think about what you'd want that experience to be like for you. If you were the sure. shopper, you know, like if you're looking like, what questions do you have? Think about how you can go ahead and proactively um, answer those by, by engaging in those, uh, in those kind of two way, two way conversations and responses. I think that's where some of those elements start. Um, another thing I'll say too, and this doesn't even have to necessarily be a two-way conversation. I'm going to give credit to Joanne Coffey for this one. She's currently uh, at Jones Road Beauty. I know a lot of folks know her name. She's a rock star. I, I really, I really uh, admire a lot of the work she's doing. I interviewed her on my show and she talked about the importance of like, not just having conversations directly with your customers, but listening to the conversations they are already having with your brand. That mm -hmm. comes out of going to places like reviews, looking at, you know, feedback that you've gotten um, and like other social channels. See if people are like raving about a product. Take some of those things that they have said and like say it back to them so they know that you're listening. That even though it's not like me, you texting back and forth with a brand, that's still what I would consider conversational because it's a larger conversation and it's the brand making an effort to say, hey, we hear you and we're going to, you know, we're going to either address this concern or hype up this thing that we know you love and make right. it so other people love it too. Um, I think that is such a, such a smart way to approach things. And we often lose sight again of some of those simple elements. It doesn't have to be as complicated as setting up triggered responses um, as personalized or sorry, as progressively profiling things through email. Listen to what some of your customers are already telling you, um, especially if they have concerns or complaints that need to be addressed, and then answer them, address them, make your customers feel seen and heard. Like it all comes back, right? <laughs> couldn't couldn't agree more. We're we're big fans of JRB and Joanne and what they're doing. They're Wonderman customer, but also just doing awesome things in the space. And like I think that that's a great call out too. Is you can just listen to what's already out there, the chatter that's going on, and inform better just overall like experiences around that and. Um, even on the, you know, to pull it back to some of that kind of like keyword stuff too, like you can definitely create that sort of, I mean, if, if you can have a one-to-one -one human, I think that's the ultimate way to think about conversation. If you have a connected like gorgeous or like a help desk and you're doing it that way, or, um, that can be really tough. I think to keep up is that such a, uh, the response expectation is almost untenable for brands. You know, like if I'm texting you, I'm going to, you know, hope that you text me back in a few minutes kind of thing. And a brand that's thinking about, you know, like a 60 to like, you know, if they're great, you know, to even like 60 minutes, like maybe even a, a day you know, response time, two days, like in some cases, like it can be hard to maintain that. So the keywords is a great way to bridge that gap, keep it conversational. Yeah. But like um, I've seen some awesome use cases 
to your point, yeah, across the life cycle, it can be on that welcome series, that browse abandonment, wow. like an, an, an abandoned card and even having, you know, objections in the keyword replies. If you have, um, you know, concerns or you want to know about, you know, like yeah, holidays around the corner, like shipping deadlines, maybe you want to like let them know about that. There's just so many things. I think it's creativity is key and yeah. mapping out and just thinking about the experience that you want to wow. have. I think that's uh, kind of sums it up, I think, really well. But um I could ramble on with this forever and riff with you. This has been absolutely amazing. But I, I do want to kind of pull it back now to a few more tactical examples. If you have any um, of maybe brands that you think are artists doing really great things, you mentioned Jones Road Beauty already, but are there any other ones that maybe come to mind that folks listening could go check out and learn more about how they're thinking about conversational? Yeah. So I had, this is, so I just, I just pulled up my phone because I was, I was going to answer it with, to your last question, but I think it's relevant for this one. Um, so I just had, this literally just happened today. So there's a brand called Bespoke Post um, that I have been an on and off subscriber of for, gosh, about a decade now, back when I was in college. So over, maybe over a decade, they started as like a men's um, subscription box company, but they would also send out really high end, like homeware and kitchen items and stuff, which is ultimately what I zeroed in on. And now they've expanded quite a bit and they offer a wider variety. But so for anyone that's familiar with them, I had an interesting experience. They only just started dabbling in SMS. They even, I think they even say when you sign up, like it's their beta program. They're like, this is new. We're figuring it out. Love the transparency, right? It sets, it sets expectations for, you know, don't, don't expect too much. But so they sent me my monthly box um, for the month and I'm just not in a position where I'm, I'm shopping from them right now. I, I, it's not something I needed. So I skipped my box shipment for the month. Email automatically goes off and is like, hey, you skipped your box. You have until this date to like change or cancel. And here's other stuff that you might want to look at. Yeah, yeah, fine. I got a text this time, which was really cool. So this happened today. So it's from Bespoke and says, you've skipped your box, um, but check out our brand new exclusively priced perked products. So it's again, kind of cross-selling me and saying, hey, because you're a member, you actually get discounted offerings for these other things. So if you knew, even if you don't want your box, here's something else. Yeah, fine. But this was cool. So it says, hey, you actually have one more day to choose your November box. Um, so if you actually do want some help, it says just text and it gives a longer number. So it, instead of the short code, it feels like a direct line to someone. Mm -hmm. So it says just text and it gives the phone number to get a personalized recommendation from a live member of our team. That's Holy so cool. shit. I have not seen examples like this. That is something I have encouraged previous clients to do is find windows of opportunity where you can say, text us and we're going to give you live recommendations. How cool would it be for brands to do that during the holidays? Can they do it all the time? No. Do you need to definitely have some sort of like dedicated person or, you know, do a time bound thing where it's like an ask me anything almost of like from two to 4 PM on Friday, ask us your questions and, and we'll have someone there, you know, ready to, to respond to you. Sure. Um, this, this is such a cool example to me of conversational commerce. Are they trying to get me ultimately to purchase that damn box? Yeah. But does, sure. it feel, but does it feel so much better that they're like, you know what? Maybe you, maybe you just want, maybe you just need some more information about our offerings this month. We want you to talk to a real person. So you get the recommendation that is most personalized for you. Hats off to Bespoke Post. This, this just happened today. How perfect for this conversation. Cause I was like, damn, that is one of the better examples I've seen in a little while now because of yeah. some of that lack of creativity, right? Don't just send the text message, open up the conversation. And this one I think is a masterclass in how they're doing that. Um, so more of that, more of that, please. More of that, please. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I, I think that I, I, I've been, you know, beating that drum for a long time. Like when we, when I, we were doing this at Tone, like we were doing very similar things for brands on behalf of them having those conversations. And I know that whether that's you're using a help desk and you're replying there, or you can use a service, you know, like a, a, a not to not to be platform specific, but like an attentive concierge, for example, and you're having that kind of managed service one-to-one -one reply and you can do it at real time. So you send those texts and you're like, hey, like, we're here to help. And then someone is there to help instantaneously. It goes back to what you were saying earlier on the in-store experience and to be able to mimic and mirror that sort of relationship with the, with the brand and the consumer such a powerful way, I think, to be able to bridge that gap, bring us into the 2020s of where like conversations should be happening with the C brands. And this is a great way to do it. So I think that's a, that's a fantastic example. Yeah. And I can, I can send you that screenshot or I'll tweet it or something. So that way it's out there. Um, but yeah, it just happened today. And I was like, man, this is, this feels better. I haven't actually texted and I'm going to, to do my due diligence after this conversation, I will text that <laughs> number and be like, 
let me see what this is all about. Um, because yeah, it really did stand out. It's not every day that you, you do see those human powered uh, interactions. And I think consumers have gotten smart, right? They yep. know when you send the email that it goes out to thousands of people, even if it says, you know, hey, Stephanie in the in the hero image or something along those lines. Consumers are not dumb. Don't don't forget that because we we are also our consumers, like especially on the marketing side, you know what happens behind the curtain. And a lot of consumers have gotten really savvy in that regard, too. So I think like don't try to be too sneaky about it. Try to make it feel really, you know, really human and, and actually involve real people wherever you can. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so, so much ground has been covered, I think, in this conversation, you know, starting, you know, with defining, you know, what conversational commerce isn't, you're talking about some of like the personalization dilemmas that we've had, and really now thinking about like, how can we inject more human qualities into our conversations, whether that's over SMS, email, or using quizzes to capture really valuable zero party data, and then actually using that to inform better strategies. Um, and there's tons of great examples, I think, dropped throughout this. But now to put a bow on, on all of this, Stephanie, Give us your best definition. What is conversational commerce? Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we've been we've been leading up to this moment, <laughs> right? Um, I love definitions. So the way I would really position it is it's pretty simple. I think conversational commerce is that two-way relationship that is ultimately trying to make commerce human again. Like it's inherently human. So let's bring it back to kind of that initial definition of social dealings between people, buying and selling and kind of like combine that into the more modern approach um, of it being that two-way relationship that makes it more human. Um, I would say the, the, the big element of that definition is if, if it's not two-way, if it's not bi-directional, if you're not asking and listening and then responding to that, it's not conversational commerce. So if you can think of that framework and kind of harken back to that, that definition, I think that gives folks kind of a good, a good starting point. Um, but yeah, and also, invite people into the conversation. Like it starts, it starts with that definitions aside, invite your customers into the conversation, ask yourself, like, if this was an experience I was going through, would it feel good, you know, for me? And then take that, take that information and, and create better experiences for folks. Cause we're all just, we're all just people. We're talk to people like they're people. We're all just people. Yeah. I think that's the Brene Brown quote that you, you had mentioned in the thread too. Yeah. That's such a, such a great way to say it. And I would put that on a t-shirt if I could, honestly. I, I think it's just so important to keep it in that perspective, you know, where people connecting with people, keep mm -hmm. it two-way and listen and respond with empathy and respond to with helpful uh, information at the end of the day too. So uh, this has been amazing, Stephanie. Thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge with us. We're definitely gonna have to have you uh, back on the show again to talk more about this. I know there's a lot more that we didn't get to that we could dive into. But um, before I let you go, where can listeners go to get in touch with you? Well, for now, um, they can still find me on Twitter. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how long uh, we're all able to kind of hang out in that space. Um, but for folks that are still having conversations there, you can find me at QueenDTC. Um, you can also find me floating around, you know, on LinkedIn if we have to leverage that platform. And then I would be remiss um, if I didn't uh, plug again my podcast uh, with Matt Lady, Conversational Commerce. That is really what made me so, so, so passionate about this. It was having those conversations uh, with people in our industry that are actually trying to bring this to life. They're trying to better understand our industry and the people that are powering it. Um, so if you want to go a little bit deeper, if you want to hear some big, hear from some big folks in the industry all about conversational commerce and get perspectives that are that are not just mine, check out the podcast. Um, I really, it's, it's the highlight of my career so far. It was some of the best conversations, so yeah. Definitely give a plus one to that. And I'll, I'll link out to the show notes and all for all that information there. I definitely think this was a great uh, teaser of what Stephanie's podcast really dives deeper into than even what we covered here today. So lots of great stuff there. But again, Stephanie, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and we'll have to have you on the show again very soon. Thanks so much, Blake. This has been a blast.